Amen. Good morning. Good to see you today, church. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Habakkuk, if you will. That is an actual book in the Bible, okay? So find your way there, if you will. Um, uh, I know some of you have been shocked at the suit today, and I, I give it to you. My kids were shocked, too. I walked out of my room, and Brent looked at me and said, Dad, why are you wearing a tux to church today? I said, well, I, I, you know, it's not exactly a tux, uh, but... Uh, and and it's, it's rare, I, I will say it's rare, and some of you old-timers are really happy about this today, okay? But um, we have a wedding after church, okay? So as soon as church is over, we're going to pause for a few minutes at 11.30. We're going to come right back in here for Casey and T's wedding. Casey, we're so happy for you. And I'm guessing that bride's getting ready. I'm guessing that's what's going on. So uh, uh, Casey was saved here just a few years ago, his, his, uh, his soon-to-be wife was saved here just a few months ago, uh, are uh, beginning their lives together now. We're so excited for them. So if uh, you can stick around, I know it's Father's Day, but if you can stick around 1130, we're going to have a, a ceremony, a wedding uh, tea, and Casey, encouragement to this couple uh, after the service, super excited for them. Uh, also, we want to welcome the Ashmores today. So Stephen, why don't you guys, why don't your family go up here for just a minute? I know I have mentioned this before, but I want to officially introduce to you uh, the Ashmore family. They're actually coming for membership today. They've, they've been saved. They've been baptized in a new members class uh, about three years ago uh, because they were here before. Now, Stephen here for a while. God sent him to uh, Ohio to pastor for a, a few years. And then uh, over the last few months as the leadership, we're talking about some of the needs of the church and the growth and some of the associate pastor needs, I was uh, able to reach back out to Stephen and ask him if he would come back to serve as our associate pastor in worship and discipleship. And so they've already started, but um, today they're officially coming to join with us. So this is Stephen. Uh, Holly is, uh, oh, right here. I'm sorry. I just looked right past you like you didn't even exist. That's his wife, Holly, and uh, they're almost married for almost 20 years. Is that right? Or you're 21, so they're about the same as us. This is Gracie, this is Lily, this is Evelyn, and that is Josh on the end. And so uh, let's welcome them to River City Baptist Church. So you guys can be seated. So as you, as you, um, you know, you, you'll probably be hearing from Stephen. There'll be a lot of different correspondences for different reasons. Uh, his scope will, of course, be worship, but also anything related to discipleship, groups, all those sorts of things. Uh, I'm looking forward to him being a so you make them feel at home. Uh, on July 2nd, uh, just a couple weeks, another new members orientation. So if you've been interested in membership, want to talk about membership, want to want to be a part of our church in a more substantial way, uh, let us know. You can even take one of those connection cards and just write membership on it. And uh, we'll get in touch with you. Some of you uh, have, have already kind of been exposed to this and you, you maybe want to come. That's great. It's, a, it's an awesome time for you to get to know our church. Also, the last step uh, and what it would take for somebody to actually be a part of our church, formally, officially, okay? And I'm not going to spend any time telling you why it's important to be a member of a church, but I believe it is important to be a member of a church, and uh, for a number of reasons, and we talk about that in this class. It's a one class, it takes place at 9 o'clock uh, before the worship service, and so uh, we want to help you. We, wanna, we want, everybody needs a church. Everybody needs a church. You do, you, ah, I don't think I need a church. Well, you do. You do, just wait till you're sick, wait till somebody's dying, wait till somebody, wait till there's a problem, wait till you need some help. 
All of a sudden, you're going to look around and go, oh, well, I don't have a pastor. I don't have a church. Everybody needs a church. Everybody. Everybody needs a pastor. Somebody to pray for them, care for them, teach them, help them. So important. We live in a culture of convenience and a window shopping kind of culture. Uh, we, we are lacking in this day. Not here necessarily, just generally speaking. Just a, just a lack of just saying, no, I'm just going to buy in, lock in. I'm going I'm to be a part of a church where I can use my gifts, serve, give, you know, be a member. All those sorts of things are, are super important. So I would encourage you uh, to consider that as we move forward in great days ahead. Uh, there's just some exciting things happening at church. Last week, two more people were saved in our Spanish congregation. And I mean, did y'all hear that? Is my mic working? I was just making sure I'm, I'm on here, okay? Uh, uh, just a tremendous work that God's doing here. We look forward to what he's going to do uh, in the days ahead. All right? So, let's go to Habakkuk. Hopefully you found it by now. I'm going to be in chapter 3 for our scripture reading. We're going to look at the book as a whole. It's a short book. I'm going to read to you uh, this morning what I believe to be some of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible. The, The actual last three verses of the book. And hopefully as we go through the message, you'll kind of get an idea of what's happening in the book. But let's start here. Uh, Verse number 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. H-I-L-S, not, or L-L-S, not H-E-E-L-S. On my high hills. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have this privilege of studying the Bible yet again. As we work through these minor prophets and we learn their, uh, their message to us today, written thousands of years ago, was still such relevance to us. And we thank you for the Bible. And I pray that we will learn it today and that we will be made more equipped for our faith as we do in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do when life doesn't make sense? There will be times when your life doesn't make sense. I grew up in West Virginia, for those of you that are new. I am not married to my cousin. (laughs) Just want to clear the... I loved it, man. Of course, I was born in the late 70s, my childhood was in the 80s. Uh, and uh, in high school, of course, in the early 90s. Those were the good days. I, I remember uh, growing up there in West Virginia. This was, of course, before cell phones. There was no Xbox. Uh, we did have the first edition Nintendo. I remember that. I, I don't remember playing it much, honestly. We had it, but it wasn't like something I just did all the time. It was there. It was something fun to do. Uh, mostly, we played outside. I know that's hard for you youngsters to believe. But, but, I mean, if you just put your phone down for five seconds and 
like wake up, you might actually find the world's actually kind of cool. Uh, so it was, it was, it was just a, a kind of an exciting childhood. Next door to me, the, the, the two houses, one on the right, one on the left, also had boys, all boys, there's six of us, and they're all about the same age. And so we spent our time hanging out, riding our bikes uh, up to the basketball courts. We had a little creek that ran down in front of our house. And so we would actually go down there and catch crawfish and sell them to our neighbor who was a fisherman. We had a good time. It was, it was a lot of fun. So that's kind of what I did. That was my thing. However, I will admit it, uh, we did have a television. And, uh, and, 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 and although, again, didn't watch it a lot. wasn't like something we did all the time. But I do remember always looking forward to something that came on basically every Saturday night. Now, you're going to have to forgive me for this. Again, I'm from West Virginia. We professional sports teams. The closest team was the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Cincinnati Bengals. Although they were really good during that, that era, it wasn't something I was super interested in at the time. And so we had no professional sports, no professional baseball, no professional uh, uh, football, anything like that. But what we did love in West Virginia was some good old-fashioned WWE wrestling, Okay. <laughs> I, I got to admit, I'm the coolest thing in the world. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not talking about this modern, fangled stuff. That I'm talking about the real stuff. I'm talking about Hawk Hogan. I'm talking about Randy Macho Man Savage. I'm talking about Dusty Rhodes and the Iron Sheik. I'm talking about the Junkyard Dog. That's what I'm talking about. Ricky, the Dragon Steamboat, Jake the Snake Roberts, the Road Warriors, Animal and... Of course, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Now, I was, I was a, a, a young boy, and, and, and of course, the boys, all the boys in the 80s wanted to be like Hulk Hogan. He was awesome. Like, can you imagine, literally, with your bare hands, tearing a tank top of your body in preparation for a wrestling match? Big time. On January 23rd, 1984, I was about six years old, and it all got really fired up when Hulk Hogan defeated the Iron Sheik for the World Championship and held that title for 1,474 days. It was Hulk-a-mania. I can tell that some of you still watch <laughs> wrestling. We would emulate those matches and get out in the yard and I'm a hawk and this guy's the junkyard dog and we would fight and wrestle and have a good time. Wrestling, when you're a boy growing up in West Virginia, that's fun. Wrestling with God is not so fun. Did you know the name Habakkuk means wrestling with God? And the whole book of three chapters is an all-out world wrestling championship match between God and Habakkuk. It's super interesting because it's unique. Most of the other prophets are sermons. With the exception of Jonah, of course, as we looked at, Jonah is a story. Isaiah, really, all the way through Malachi are sermons for the most part. Prophets preaching sermons. But in the book of Habakkuk, there's not one sermon preached. In fact, the entire book of Habakkuk, two things. 
It consists of a dialogue between God and Habakkuk. Habakkuk's not preaching to anybody. Habakkuk is talking to God. And it gets pretty raw. It gets pretty intense. It's a wrestling match. And then in chapter 3, after all that wrestling match takes place, Habakkuk quietly surrenders his heart to God. The whole book together, we learn what we should do when life doesn't make sense. This morning, there's only two parts to the message. That doesn't mean it's going to be any shorter than the other ones. It just means there's two parts. What do you do when your life doesn't make sense? What do you do when you get a diagnosis that doesn't make sense? What do you do when your job falls apart? What do you do when your marriage falls apart? What do you do when you, when you have a question that's unanswered? You have a loved one that passes away. What do you do when whatever ideal you constructed about your life when you were a child or an adolescent and it got completely disrupted as life went on? What about infertility? What about child loss? I'm actually describing situations that I am very well aware of exist in this congregation even right now. And I think we'd all admit whether we'd like to share group or or even talk to our closest friend about it there are times when life doesn't make sense so what should you do when life doesn't make sense there's two things that you should do number one you should be honest with God be honest with God it is shocking in the Bible to see how honest people are with God And I want you to know, unless you are willing to be honest with God, you won't get very far with God. In the early 2000s, America was captivated by a television series that was wildly popular and heavily awarded. It was the television show 24. Some of you probably four fans. 24 ran nine seasons, and each season was one day in the life of a counter-terrorist agent by the name of Jack Bauer and the whole season was one day every episode was one hour and it was a heart thumping blood rushing uh, experience to go through and there was all kinds of major plots the major plot of which of course was un, uh, un, un uh, tackling a major terrorist threat but within those Uh, those major plots, there was always these little subplots that made the show super interesting, including a myriad of villains along the way. And for you 24 fans, for instance, President John Logan, maybe the greatest villain in television show history. But there was another one before him that was actually, I thought, even a little more cynical and a little worse, and that was the wife of the first president that you encounter on the show, President David Palmer, his wife, by the name of Sherry Palmer, and she was a piece of work, okay? Driven by ambition, driven by politics, willing to do literally anything, including covering up crime and even committing murder to fulfill her agenda to be the wife of the President of the United States. In season five, long after President Palmer uh, has uh, no longer is the president, but he's still an active part of the, uh, actually it was season three, excuse me, he's no longer president, he's resigned because of all of these uh, conflicts that have taken place, but he's still very much a part of the show. In season three, he gets in a, in a pinch trying to advise the president, and he, against his better judgment, invites his ex-wife to consult with this situation. And she's as ambitious as ever, 
And now the former president is dating a woman who's on the advisory council of the presidency. And there's this exchange that takes place. I mean, it's like a literal cat. You can just see it. Two women that do not like each other, and they're just at odds with one another, and it comes to a head when they have this standoff. I still can picture it in my mind, and the woman looks at, looks at Sherry and says, here's the bottom line. I just don't trust you. I do not like you, and I do not think you have the best interest of this country in your mind. And Sherry smiles almost in a scare and says, well, now we're getting somewhere. See, we think sometimes because our relationships with others are often pretentious and often just partially true, we think that somehow we're going to get the same way with God. I'll just be partially honest with God. I'll just pray to God, but I'll use all those little uh, phrases and things that I've heard other people use. And I'm afraid to talk with God maybe as honest as I feel like I should, because maybe that's irreverent or, or, or so on and so forth. Folks, I'm here to tell you, God wants you to be honest with him, and you're not going to get anywhere with him unless you're willing to be honest with him. Now, in Habakkuk chapters 1 and 2, I wanna, I'm going to try to tell you what happens, and I'm going to give you three questions that we often need to ask God, okay? Uh, Habakkuk comes in verse number 1, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Notice, there's no family mention, there's no location mention, he's just a preacher wrestling with God. Verse 2, he starts the question. Look at it right there. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and you not hear? That's the first question. The first question sometimes that you're going to have to ask in order to be honest with God is this. God, why aren't you listening to me? Have you ever been there? Have you ever had a long-standing prayer request that you had that you did not feel like God was answering have you ever asked for something that was not or is not happening? Have you ever asked for, for instance, relief from physical pain, supply of a financial need, restoration of a relationship, salvation of a loved one, and yet it just drags on and on and on and on and on? Lord, how long shall I cry and you not hear? This is not the only place in the Bible this takes place. For instance, Psalm 13, David same words, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You see, sometimes the truth of the matter is you've been praying and God doesn't seem to be answering and the reality is you are frustrated. I literally was talking to a man, a pastor, this past week and, and he said, except one thing happened this week. I was getting to a point. God had completely forgotten about me. It's like God is just not even aware that I'm here. I'm talking to a preacher that uh, has been renting a facility for 10 years and they've longed to be in their own place. They've changed locations four times. They're in an incredibly well of the country. There is no land to buy. There is no way to build. There is no way to do it unless God just does something. And here, he talked to me about this, and it's amazing. I, I listened to him as he shared with me back in, uh, in November. God put a date on his heart that, that he believed God was going to do something. And believe what it was? It was June 11th, 2023, last Sunday. And I just happened to be there preaching for them last Sunday, and God kicked a door open for them last Sunday. Blessed be his name. Ten years of waiting, ten years of struggling. And he told me that night, he said, I'm telling you, 
not been for that, had it not been for that, I would have been struggling about, yes, I believe in answered prayer, I believe God is real, but I am struggling with how long I've been praying about this with no answer. No, God, why aren't you listening? Number two, God, why aren't you doing something? Three, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence are before me? There is strife and contention arises. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked for perverse judgment proceeds. What is he talking about there? He's saying, God, I am living in the middle of perversion. I'm living in the middle of trouble. I'm living in the middle of violence. I'm living in the middle of arguing and fighting and nobody's listening to your word. The wicked are overcoming the the righteous. Nobody's doing, doing right all the way up to the highest court of the law. This whole thing is messed up. God, why aren't you doing something about this? You're not listening to me, but you're also evidently not going to do it. Are you not going to do something about this? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wondered how God could allow so much evil, so much injustice, so much wickedness just run seemingly free without anything being done about it? Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel this way when babies being aborted, when I hear about children being uh, kidnapped for sex trafficking, I feel this way when I see evil political policies destroying the foundations of a country that I love. I feel this way when I see children dying of starvation in a barren Sudanese countryside or teenagers dying in car accidents or good of cancer, children being robbed of their innocence by perverted agendas of godless people that have way too much influence in the business sector and in the political sector. Somebody help me up here. That doesn't bother you? It should. And sometimes don't you feel, why are you not doing something about this? You could. I mean, God could stuff Target right off the map. He could, he, could, he could reverse any political ruling ever that he wanted to. I mean, he is God. Create the world in six literal days out of nothing. I mean, I think he's well able to just snuff out people and take one person out of office and, 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 and just and literally like roll a bomb out on every sex trafficker that ever existed. And, and allow the, uh, nobody to ever be able to perform an abortion again. He would, he would definitely be able to do that. And yet during those times when those things don't happen, we cry out, God, why aren't you doing something? Then there's even a bigger one that starts in verse 5. Now watch this. In verse 5, God replied. And I'm going to summarize this. In verses 5 through 11, God is going to answer Habakkuk. Habakkuk, God, why aren't you listening to me? And God, why aren't you doing something about it? And now God is going to answer in verses 5 through 11. And let me summarize what God says to Habakkuk about to do something about it. And he tells him what he's going to do about it. But what he tells him, Habakkuk could hardly believe his ears when he hears it. What does God tell Habakkuk he's about to do? He says, I am going to do something about Judah and their wickedness. I'm going to do something about it. And here's what I am going to do about it. I am going to send the Babylonians like a tidal wave over from the east. And I am going to literally decimate Israel. The temple is going to be destroyed. The city is going to be up in ashes. People are going to die. And I am going to invade them. And I'm going to, watch this, use Babylonians. 
Babylon to do it. So look at verse number 12. Here's the next question. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment? O rock, you have marked them for correction? Of pure than to behold evil and cannot. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked person devours a person more righteous than he? God, we're better than they are. How could you use Babylon to do this? Or let me, let me, let me put it a little more plainly. How could you allow, allow this to happen? God, why are you not listening? God, why aren't you doing something? And number three, God, how could you allow this to happen? I mean, you know, sometimes God does things in mysterious ways and uses mysterious circumstances to accomplish his will. And sometimes we step back and scratch our heads and go, what in the world is going on here? How can evil people prosper? How can evil people get away with evil? How can evil people continue? to do what they do and literally harm the people of God. God, how can you allow this to happen? And folks, here's the bottom line. What I want to say to you uh, this morning is this. God is God. And God is always at work. And how many of you are glad that God is wiser than you are? God loves you more than you love yourself and loves you and your family more than you love your family. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God was here before us. God will be here after us. God has no predecessors. God has no successors. God will never be impeached. God has, come on, God has no term limits. He's always God. He always will be God. And I'm never going to take that role. And I just want to stand to you before you this morning and say, I am thankful that I am not God. I'm certainly thankful that nobody in this room is God. I'm thankful that he is God and he is listening and he is working and he's doing things his own way. And it's our job, not only, number one, to be honest with God, but secondly, our job is to rest wholly in God. So chapter 2 uh, or excuse me, chapter 1 ends with Habakkuk saying, God, are you serious? Then look at the very first verse of chapter 2. Look at this. I will stand my watch. I will set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So <laughs> you love that. Habakkuk pours out his heart. He says, I'm just going to sit here and see what God's going to do about this. And now in chapter 2, uh, the rest of the chapter, God is speaking. And God is getting ready to turn Habakkuk's mind to what he is going to do. So look at what verse 2 says. Then the Lord answered me and said, watch this, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. In Habakkuk chapter 2, God is going to reorient Habakkuk to this truth. He's going to start off by saying, Habakkuk, reassure yourself that I have a plan. And in case you're not sure about how this is going to work, sit down, capture the vision, 
write it down on a tablet so that people that are concerned and running around and trying to figure it out, you can just show that this is what God is going to do. Can I say to you, child of God, dear men and women in River City Baptist Church, you can be reassured this morning that God always has a plan in your life, in the life of this country, in the life of our church. He always has the answer. He wants us to trust. Be patient. There are always things that are going to come to pass that God has ordained will actually come to pass. Verses 3 through 5 tell us that things are not always what they seem. He says, starting in verse 3, for the vision is not yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. In other words, I'm not, I'm not, it's not ready yet. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And I'm going to stop. He, he, uh, Habakkuk saying, or excuse me, uh, God saying to uh, Habakkuk, he's saying, look, look, it appears one way, but that's not always the whole story. Things sometimes appear that they're going one way, but we're seeing in one dimension. For instance, think of Psalm 73, verse 2. But as my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious against the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, don't tell me there's not one person in this room that's never done that. God, my doesn't go to church, doesn't care, doesn't love you at all, and they're prospering more than we are. God, why don't you make all the Christians billionaires? Why is their life so easy? How in the world is this working, God? And what does God say in verse 4? He says, well, that's because things aren't always as simple as you're trying to be. This proud person is front, like everything's okay. There's something going on in here that you can't see. Watch this. That's far more tumultuous than being a person who has everything together on the outside. How many of y'all understand what I'm getting ready to say? What I'm saying to you is this. You must realize that just because everything looks okay on the outside doesn't mean everything's okay on the inside. And can I go a step further and say this? You can have everything going right on the outside, but if it's not right on the inside, you don't have what you need. And how many of you can attest to this? I may not have it all good on the outside, but it is well with my soul. And that's a huge difference. And that's what God is saying to him. Don't, don't look at this just from your perspective. I do have a plan. And then in verses 6 through 20, Habakkuk goes through. And, and you, you, I'll point them out to you. Verse 6. Uh, let's see. Uh, verse, uh, uh, oh boy, I got, got lost here. Verse 9, woe to him that covets evil. Verse 12, woe to him that builds a, t- uh, a town with bloodshed. Verse 15, woe to him that gives drink to his neighbor. And verse 19, woe to him who says to wood, uh, awake, or, or idolatry. So, so, he, so he, he's pronouncing the certain woes to all the people that are not following God. And what he's saying essentially is this, the wheels of judgment turn slowly, but they do turn surely. So what do you need to do when you're resting in God? First of all, you need to reassure yourself of God's plan. Number two, you need to recall God's work in the past. Now look how chapter 3 starts. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shiganoth. Uh, verse 2, oh Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. I'm hearing what you're saying and it's scaring me. 
O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. What is, what is, what is, what is the prophet saying to uh, 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 God? He's saying, Lord, I'm hearing what you're saying and it's frightening me, but here's what I know. If you will just revive in these days what you did in those days, I know we would be all good. And then beginning uh, 3, God came. Notice the past tense. God came from Taman. His glory covered, past tense, the heavens. Talking about bringing the law down. His brightness was, uh, was in his light. Talking about uh, the, uh, him coming before Moses. Are y'all follow me? Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. He stood at the measure of the earth and looked and startled the nations. I'm not going to read this whole thing for sake of time this morning, but basically, basically what God is what he's saying is this: God, I've I've seen you from the time you called Israel out. I've seen you from the time you gave the law to Moses, to splitting the Red Sea, to conquering the land of promise. All the way through our history, you've been there. All the way through our history, you have worked. All the way through our history, you've been God, and you've demonstrated yourself in. And all I'm asking you to do is do in this day what you've done in that day. Friend, how can you rest in God? Remember what he's done in your past. Is there not anybody in this room that has a testimony? Is there not anybody in this room that has a story? Is there not anybody in this room that understands there's an Old Testament and a New Testament? There's also your testament. The testament that God has done, what he has done, how he saved you, how he's changed you, how he's answered your prayer, led you in the past, guided you to this point, took care of every need that you have. Hey, folks, all I'm saying is this. There's no time to start doubting him now. Revive in this day what you've done in that day. Finally, in verses 17 through 19, Habakkuk is going to teach us by example to recalibrate our hearts to praise. Verse 17 is the verse that says, what if we go through total loss? What if the Babylonians come? And what if there is a total loss? No figs, no olives, no cattle. By the way, you might as well have said, in modern day, stock market crashed. How did you know somebody was wealthy? By their fields, by their plants, by their animals. How did you know Abraham was wealthy? Because he had like 10 billion goats. Yeah. Right? He was a, his goats multiplied a hundredfold that year. That's what it said about Isaac, I think. hundred goats. He was rich, man. Or Elisha had 12 yoke of oxen. Most people only had one pair of oxen. He had 12 pair of oxen plowing all these fields. That's extraordinary. What does verse 17 say? It may, I will lose it all. The verse 18 says, even if I do, I will praise God. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will thank him for his salvation. What if I have no water, no electricity, no heat, no shelter, no food? I lose it all, lose my job, lose my home, lose it all. The answer is I can rejoice in the Lord because they can take everything. Away from me, everything away from me, but they cannot take every one away from me, and that one who will always be there is God. So, in light of this, when you have this attitude, guys, this is the, this is a great thing. When you have this attitude that uh, nothing's going to stop, 
Praise God. My circumstances are not going to be my joy. My wealth is not going to be my joy. Come on. My home's not going to be my joy. My comfort's not going to be my joy. My joy is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've seen it on the hillsides of Haiti. I've seen it in the dumps of San Salvador. I have seen it in Honduras. I have seen it all over this world. And I'm telling you, you don't have to have much to have joy in your life. But then in verse 19, when that's your attitude, here's the results. He's going to transform you. He's going to make my feet like deer feet. That's kind of weird. But you know what he's saying when he explains it. That they'll be able to have sure footing in a rocky place. Right, right. Amen. That's brilliant. May not change the tough terrain you are on, but he'll change your feet so you can walk in it. And then all of a sudden, you are walking through rocky terrain, but you haven't lost your step. Sometimes life doesn't make sense. This morning, our precious friends in Haiti will gather on a hillside with no building, waking the children up from our children's home from underneath the bushes they slept in last night and have been sleeping that way for now a couple of months. Yeah, let me, re- let me rewind that so all you will catch what I just said. About 100 children this morning in Haiti woke up underneath the bushes. And they'll gather under no roof to have church and eat whatever they can scrap together today. That's just from our group we're working with. They literally had to smuggle these children out of Port-au-Prince uh, in the middle of the night, working as many back road angles as they could to get the children out of our children's home. The half-million-dollar home we built is now vacated and probably housing gang members. God have mercy. Life doesn't make sense. Or our missionary Kevin Bennett this morning in the Philippines awaiting an emergency surgery to remove a fast-growing growth in his nasal cavity. Having no idea if it's cancerous or not. Facing the most life-changing thing in their life. Sometimes life doesn't make sense. And if you're not there, today you've probably been there before. Or if you're not there today, you're probably going to be there tomorrow. So when your life doesn't make sense, you better be honest with God and rest wholly in God. Let's pray together. I want to end the service a little different today. I want us to pray. I mentioned these two things. Before you, I'd like to ask our church to come and pray specifically for Brother Kevin. And whatever this biopsy will reveal in the next few weeks. And whatever from states we can do to be a blessing to them. I want to pray for Pastor Casimir in Haiti.
all the precious kids on the hillsides in Capetian area of Haiti, North Haiti, and all the tragedy and all the dislodgement and all the things that are going on. While we sat, guys, please, while we sat in comfort and some of us, some of us are so wrapped up in our own financial resources, we don't even have it to give. Think about that. Think about people in this room so affluent and so materialistic. We give, and there are people that are sleeping under bushes. I, I just can't. I just can't. Well, at least we can pray for them. Or maybe God, make us content, make us joyful, make us sacrificial, make us appreciative, and build our faith. I think that's good. Do we, can we play? Why don't we play something? Holly, Steve, why don't you guys play, sing if you want, whatever. Let's all stand. Come on, let's come and pray. Let's do that. Can we do that? Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you're right now. Maybe you're in a life doesn't make sense moment. Hey, it's a good time to pray, right, Lord? You're not listening. You're not doing something. How could you? And if you don't have somebody specifically in mind, like in your life right now, at least let's come and pray for our missionaries. Our missionaries. I mean, I'm not talking about just any missionary. Our missionaries from our church that we are primarily responsible for. So let's come as we have this. Take some time, pray. Obviously, if you're not a Christian, if you need Jesus, I'd be happy to help you. I'd be happy to talk to you. And I'll meet you after this is over, but let's just stop for a minute and pray.